0: Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Today, I am joined by Davin Brandt. I got to know Davin as a uh, co-member of the Minnesota DNR R3 Council. That's a lot of of letters, Uh, but basically it is a council put together by the Minnesota DNR to focus on recruiting new hunters and anglers. Davin is the founder and executive director for a nonprofit called Minnesota Steelheader. And this organization is focused on the education and introduction of steelhead fishing to people. And I think you'll enjoy today's conversation. It's springtime right now. We're in the middle of uh, this craziness of COVID-19 with people keeping their distance. And we talk about what steelheading means to the North Shore of Minnesota, how that fits into the greater context of steelhead. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, welcome to this episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Today, I am joined by Davin Brandt, who is the founder and director of Minnesota Steelheader. Great to have you on, Davin.
1: Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You
0: bet. So we're uh, we're doing this podcast uh, via Zoom like so many things these days in this new normal we are in and um and so let's just jump right into it we're we're sort of in the right in the height of of steelhead season here in minnesota which a lot of people don't know maybe that we got steelhead in minnesota um and that now is the time to catch them but let's let's back up a little bit and maybe just um Let's start with with an explanation for people who might not be familiar with it. What is a steelhead and why is there mystique around
1: it? It's a great question, great question. Steelhead, uh, actually Mark, it's, it's just, it's a rainbow trout. Um, but steelhead are, um, you know, when most people think steelhead, they think of uh, the Pacific Northwest. And so it, it's a migratory uh, rainbow trout. Uh, in the traditional sense, um they spend their life uh, growing out in in the uh, pacific ocean and then they migrate back
0: uh, a lot of
1: times back to the stream where 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 they had uh had started and so they go back and they spawn um and then those fish will rear in those rivers for one to two sometimes three years um, and then head back to the ocean live a few more years and then return to spawn unlike salmon the steelhead can spawn uh, over and over again. They do not die after they spawn, like salmon do. So that's one unique characteristics. Um, the steelhead in Lake Superior, or in all the Great Lakes, in fact, all the Great Lakes do uh, have uh, various strains of steelhead. Uh, in Lake Superior, we do have a naturalized uh, Pacific steelhead. Um, it was actually uh, introduced in the late 1800s. I think was, it was that long, long ago. But 1883, I've got it on my other screen here, 1883 is when they were uh, introduced and they've naturalized. We actually have a naturalized uh, strain and uh, we actually discovered that, uh, I believe, this last year through some genetic work that uh, the DNR was working on. So it is, it's a Lake Spear naturalized strain steelhead. Um,
0: So using that term naturalized, um, you know, a lot of times people talk about native trout versus stock trout. Sure. Uh, naturalized would be a, an introduced trout, but it is now part of the natural reproduction cycle within that, within that water system. Correct?
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. So it, it's, it's uh it's a self-sustaining. Um, there was times uh, decades ago where they o- due to overfishing uh, primarily um, the numbers were depleted so far that we currently have a catch and release only. Uh, but those fish are naturally uh reproducing and they have a you know a sustained sustained population in fact the numbers are coming back and that's primarily i think due to uh the no harvesting you know catch and release only fishery so yeah but they are you know there's they they aren't natural those rainbow trout are not natural in lake superior or or the salmon it's the 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 coastal brook trout and the lake trout and that's it which are still there
0: yeah yeah and, and so, like you said, you know, I think most people think of, of steelhead, uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, Alaska, et cetera, mm-hmm. as, as, as the areas. And it's, I remember years ago when I realized there was, there was steelhead in Lake Superior. I, I just found it fascinating because for those who aren't familiar with the North shore of Minnesota, highway 61 is your, as your teacher, the steelhead highway. I love it. Um, Give a little bit of background on, on the region, the area that Minnesota Steelheader focuses on.
1: Uh, we focus on on all the waters, um, uh, or all the Minnesota waters of Lake Superior. And in fact, there is some steelhead water. Some of my friends might not be excited for me to mention it, but even down in, in the Blackhoof uh river which is um, not even on the north shore um, but that's you know just south of Duluth but so from that area all the way up to the Canadian border um, all those waters about 150 miles along that steelhead highway it's arguable uh, I'm sorry how many streams yeah it, it's arguable how many actually will hold fish and it depends on on the year right now uh, in 2020 we have there's a lot there's a fair amount of water and so there's uh, it, it, it should be a good run in, in a lot of the streams and rivers. It's approximately 60. Some people will say there's no, no, there's only 40, there's only 20 really good ones. But um, you'd be surprised how much uh, these little rivers, or what I call skinny water, um, can hold fish. Um, you come by, you drive over these these rivers in July and there can be no water coming out of them. But uh, in April and sometimes May, you'll you'll get steelhead. I think that is
0: one of the things that um, is fascinating for people who are new to, to stream fishing um, for trout to, to discover, um, which is how little water there needs to be really for, for holding some fish. I remember years ago when I started stream fishing for the first time and, and, and just being amazed at how skinny little water, as you said, could, could be holding fish. And I'm talking, you know, smaller fish, Brookies, Browns, um, you know, in, in, in Wisconsin or or Southeast Minnesota that had fish just these small little, little pieces of water and obviously a lot bigger water up on the North shore. And for probably what you're talking about with steelhead. But I love that idea of, of the potential for big and little water to be, to be holding fish and creates the opportunity, I think, to, to, to yeah. really get out there and, and have a little journey and let's, let's go try this little piece of water. Maybe, maybe there's some fish in there.
1: And, you know, we have all sorts of different types of water. We, we have, uh, you know, we, we divide the North Shore into three sections, the Lower Shore, the Middle Shore, and the Upper Shore. And there's different watersheds for each of these areas, m- m- mainly the, the the South Shore, or the, not South Shore, the Lower Shore um, it doesn't have the same uh, headwaters as you'll find in the Middle and the Upper middle and the upper some of their headwaters are in the boundary waters and so there's a good water source um and and just you know going into the geology and just the way the land is it's different you have different types of flow and different types of sediment and things like that but there's some rivers mark honestly there's a couple little rivers you can jump across yeah not not a broad jump probably but you, you you could jump across and and you know, on average, probably the average area that people fish is like a, a rural street, the width of a rural street, um, and so that's the water that you know most of it encompasses. But we do have a couple of pretty large rivers. You know, there's oftentimes you'll be fishing in the spring. And you'll have whitewater, you know, kayakers, you know, going by and so forth. So there, there's some, some of the rivers are, are fairly fairly big. There's some guys that use you know the uh, the swinging uh, method with spay rods in those rivers and. Uh, sometimes some other different types of methods. But so it, what I'm trying to say is the North shore rivers in those, whatever you want to say, 40 to 60 rivers, go look at the maps, you can check on our website, you can see all, all these uh, rivers on the maps that we offer there. So Mark, we have all sorts of different types of water on the North shore. Um, some, some of the water you can actually jump across. It's, it's not very wide, but the average uh, rivers that people will fish is probably about the width of, of a rural street. Um, some of them are are wider and some of them offer the ability for anglers to use some different um angling methods such as uh, spade fishing or spade casting and things like that. But it's it's quite diverse um in that 150 mile stretch.
0: So um steelhead as an as an anadromous fish. Always hard for me to say that one. No, it's a tough one. <laughs> Heading back out back out to the big water. Mm-hmm. That historically has been uh salt water. Correct. Um, in this case is heading out to a huge lake, huge freshwater lake, and then returning to its its birth area on, on the stream. So a couple things around that, questions around that. Um, first of all, the these streams, a lot of the North Shore rivers, as I understand it, are, are, are not spring-fed or they're minimally spring-fed. And so there's a lot of variability in the in the water levels, uh, winter versus spring versus summer, that they can, you know, be like you said, raging with with water in, in the early springtime, and then by late summer, just a trickle. Hmm. How does that how does that affect uh, both the way that the fish cycles through its movement and 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 how you fish it?
1: That's a big question. You know, we actually answer that in one of our clinics, Mark, we, we offer free clinics. You can go to our webpage and see that, but we go into the-
0: What's the, what's the, uh, what's the website?
1: Yeah, uh, Minnesota, MinnesotaSteelheader.com. And okay. on the homepage, you'll find some links. it's our fall clinic in, in particular. These are free clinics, stream side clinics that, uh, quite honestly, they're, they're just jam packed full of information. But one of our uh, instructors goes into detail about the geology and the the obstacles that that migratory fish on the exterior have uh, by way of you know it goes into the ph level of the water and the, the temperatures and the flow and all that so it goes in a lot of that so i'll uh, refrain from boring you on all those specifics but that that has you know you're right the headwaters of these rivers um fluctuate and so some of them they come from marshy areas on the lower shore. It's usually marshy areas things like that so in drier years the water gets really, really low. In big rains, uh, you get flashy, and they can get blown out. When you say blown out, just, it's taking the bedrock and it's just pushing it out, uh, sometimes changing the way that the streams flow. Uh, in the uh, middle and, and northern uh, region of, uh, of the North Shore, like I said, they, they do have more of, a, of lakes as headwaters. Um, you know, for instance, the Poplar River, which runs through Lutzen. there's Poplar Lake, and there's feeder streams, and there's probably springs back in the woods that are helping to to um, keep those rivers from getting getting too low. But they they all they all get a little low. But for, for migration, you still had migrate mainly in the spring. You can catch them in the fall, but it, it's a little different reason why you catch them in the fall. But on the north shore, they come in after ice out, and it's almost always going to be high water. Um, situations, and they'll come in as that water warms up. They come in, and they'll spawn. Um, that can take a couple days, and you can take a couple weeks, depending on, on on how long. And then they leave, and they uh, spend their, their life growing up in Lake Spear. However, when they spawn, those little guys stay in the rivers, and we really want them to stay in the rivers for at least a year, if not two, to even more. The longer they stay in the river, the bigger they get. Um, unfortunately, some fish are leaving um, some rivers at, you know, what we call year zero, where, where they're just they're these little guys. So they're like a year old, they're really small, and now they're out going out in the lake, and we have the cormorants, the gulls, the lake trout, uh, coaster brook trout, and they, their, uh, their mortality rate is extremely high. Are they leaving earlier because the rivers are warming,
0: getting too too warm, or what's what what's the what's the primary driver of
1: them leaving so early? You know, I don't have any facts in front of me. My speculation is it's 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 warmth. It, it's warmth. I just I can It's it's warmth and then habitat, which kind of coincide with each other. Um, and we we've we've it's been documented through the uh, the fish trap that's at the Knife River. Um, that the DNR they they see them they see them coming back down and you have fish coming back down that are you know one one inch maybe two inches long um and it shouldn't be coming down so yeah, yeah. so yeah and so and, and so what I would say you can in the summertime you can catch some of these steelhead in in the rivers uh you can catch you know a a two-year-old fish um is, is going to be you know in that nine nine inch range a three-year-old fish uh, could be up in the, into that 12 to 13 inch range. And so you know in these larger uh, rivers where you have like the deep, cool pools and underneath you know uh, shade, uh, you can actually catch these young steelhead throughout throughout the year. The season <laughs> is actually open from from the uh, the barriers, every river has a, a boundary, a, a downstream boundary. You can learn about that on our website too. We have all this information the DNR uh, shares this. Those seasons are open continuously, but so the issue is ice. So you're around 365. 365, days. but you got to deal with ice. You know, yeah. a lot of times they get frozen over. But. Yeah.
0: So, um, do you have people? Do you hear people from other areas of the country, let's say the Pacific Northwest, or or or, or, or anglers from other other regions who would who would say, uh, yeah, you really don't have steelhead in in that. These fish are anadromous, going out into the big lake, but it it is a freshwater lake. It's it's not truly the ocean, the salt water.
1: Do you hear that? You know, yeah. I I personally don't hear it. It's probably because you know people don't like to talk to someone directly. But I'm I'm sure it's probably said. And one of my comments was, "Well, the strain came from from your backyard. Came yeah. came from the the Pacific, and you know that's." That, that that's an opinion, and you know we, we can just agree to disagree on on that one. You know they they are they are a, a naturalized fish, and it is a very specific strain that has adapted over, you know, hun, over hundred years, um, and it's it's it actually is it's unique to uh, Lake Superior. Yeah, in fact, even compared to well, and there's there's several strains that have been stocked by different jurisdictions. Um, I'm not an expert on all that, but you know, depending on what lake you're at, there's, oh, there's probably three or four different strains and, and, you know, someone's going to watch us and correct me on that. So no, there's actually, but, um, and, and they're all, they're, they're different. They take on their, their different characteristics. Um, some are a little bit longer and sleeker and some are a little bit shorter and fatter and the fish you catch on Lake Superior, they're going to be a different size than the fish you catch on Lake Michigan. Yeah, the main reason for that is Lake Michigan is is a lot warmer due to it's it's a lot shallower. Um, Lake spear is cold. It's cold and it's not very fertile. It doesn't have quite the amount of of forage. Um, but the I think the main reason that these these fish just don't get as big is because their their uh, their growing uh, life cycle it's 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 cold. It's just really cold. So the average, you know, you're probably going to ask me was, so what's the biggest fish? So I'm kind to read your mind here. <laughs> and, and I, I uh, had a guy send me a picture of a 34 inch um, steelhead. I know Scott Thorpe, uh, who's a, um, a wonderful advocate for the fishery um, is retired guide now and instructor and so forth. He holds the record. I can't, I want to say it was 17 pounds wow Correct us, but i think 70 people i don't remember how long it, it was most people in the catch and release fishery are just giving the lengths so that's yeah. why you're, you're going to hear a length rather than a, a poundage uh, scott ended up mounting that one um that was i think back in the 70s maybe late 80s or excuse me early 80s but i know just recently um a month and a half ago one of our instructors caught a 32 inch fish so my my general rule of thumb um, when you do the calculations, the average if it's 30 inches or more, it's uh, or I should say that 30 inches you're looking at approximately a 10 pound 10 pound steelhead. So uh, what's that? uh two trophy. Over, what's that fish over your shoulder there? That fish over my shoulder. That guy. Look at that. This is a coaster brook trout, and uh, that is one of the the native fish that is actually uh, in a rehabilitation. Uh, program right now and that I've been looking for that for 30 years and and I I caught her uh, let's see about four years ago now wow. while steelhead fishing so it wasn't even during their fall migration that coaster bird trout migrate and spawn in the fall but they'll come in in the spring because they they can smell those rivers and and get the flavor of what's going on and they know there's eggs in there and so they'll come in and they'll feed on the eggs of steelhead. Okay. So that's... What time, uh, what time of year did you get, Did you catch that one? That was um, late April, I believe. Okay. It may have been like the last weekend in April, which is a great time to go steelheading, or it could have been in May. I, can't, I think was, that one was, was in April, late April. And you can see there, if you can see, let me grab it here. I have what I have. Put a piece of paper in front of it. See if we can see that. There we, we talk go. a little bit more on that later. Let me see. I, mean, I don't know how well the focus is working. But what that is, is it's a little bead, smaller than a marble. And then I've got a number six octopus hook on there. And you can see where that bead is. That's actually where it was when I caught it, or close to. You don't actually put it on the hook. I I can talk to you more about that. But that's actually uh, what, what that brook uh, trout hit on.
0: So, you know, when... Um... I've gone fishing for, for salmon in, in Alaska, you know, and during the run uh, sockey's and Kings where you're, you know, you're, you're basically presenting something in front of them and getting that aggression bite, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a feeding bite. Is, is there a similarity with the, with the steelhead or is it, is it an active, an active feeding?
1: You know, it's, it's tough when, when it's, when it's cold, like, Right now, it, it, uh, the water temp, depending on the river you're at, is probably in the mid to high 30s. You know, it, It'll be lower 30s in the morning, afternoon. Today, I'm looking out my window here. It's a sunny day. I'm not on the North Shore. Uh, but if, if it's sunny, um, that's going to help warm up that water. And that water can actually go from 34 to 38 degrees in the same area just in that given day. And to us, that might not seem like a lot, but for cold-blooded fish, that's that's a big difference. Um, and, and so the warmer that, that water gets, Mark, uh, the more active the fish get. That doesn't necessarily mean the more hungry they get. Um, but fish, they still actively, they'll actively take uh, flies. They, they'll actively, especially when you get the young fish. You'll get fish that are um, what we call like a, like a skipjack. So it, it could be a, kind of an, an immature steelhead. I say immature, but it's just a, a young steelhead that that came back, and maybe he's only 16 inches. Um, you know, the average steelhead probably is between, you know, 21, 22 up to uh, 28 inches. That's gonna be your average range. So you get these younger, 16 to 18 inches. They'll come in. and They're super aggressive, and they'll 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 easily go after a, a like a streamer type fly. Um, does, when the water's cold. People typically will use things that have a little scent. Maybe use a little scent on whatever they're using to fly, or a lot of people use uh, spawn. They use, uh, you know, camloops, rainbow trout spawn, or maybe some salmon spawn, um, and then that has a little scent, and that scent draws those fish to it. But yeah, those, you know, they're they're there to spawn, Uh, but these fish aren't aren't. Their body isn't um, absorbing all the nutrients to stay alive, to spawn like a salmon will. Salmon, they'll actually—they're—they're they're basically eating themselves to sustain yeah. that energy to go. And the steelhead don't have to do that, so they're going to get hungry. And if something comes by them, they're yeah. opportunistic. You know, hey, this comes by, I'm going to grab that and eat it. So as the water warms, they become more active. And like you said, and and I
0: forget if we mentioned this earlier or not, but it, but um, again, salmon—anadromous situation—they're going up to spawn, then they're going to die. Mm-hmm. Still had, they keep, they keep living. So they head back out into the big water and they, they stay alive. They, they
1: come back multiple times, correct? That is correct. And they, they can come back four or five times. And yeah. So you, you, you know, you think about this, you know, back in the seventies um, when they, they were just, there was a, a pretty heavy harvest and you, you're, you're out there, you're getting that at first year, that four-year-old fish that's coming back to spawn for the first time and it's harvested. That fish put back if it came back four four or five times, just three times, three or four times. You just think about the the thousands of um, up you know eggs that had the opportunity to grow in, in, in and to increase that population. So that that's the challenge with fishing for, you know, fish that you know you're targeting them while they're actually migrating, you know, while they're actually getting ready to spawn. So you're actually removing that next year class um Or that year's year class out of the water by harvesting. So the catch and release for steelhead, it's it's huge. It's it's really making the difference. There's people that are that that think it's ready to to actually be lifted. And hmm. uh, our our organization feels that you know I think it needs to 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 stay catch and release. Yeah, for, for a little while longer. How long How long has the catch and release been in place? Uh, that's a really really good question and I'm gonna mumble out an answer this 10 years i um, <laughs> i i i don't I don't have those numbers it, it's been quite a while and okay it's, it's not just the last couple of years it's okay it's, it's yeah it's it's been more. yeah over a decade number a number of years yeah it's been it's been like that for a while it's been like that for a while just to try to get the numbers to come back um there has been stocking um and, and you can tell a, a stocked fish from a naturalized fish in, in Lake Superior. There's gonna be fin clips, um, maybe tags. They, they mark them so that um, anglers can tell. Yes. In fact, while we're on that mark, you should know that there's another strain of rainbow trout in Lake Superior that um, those that have fished will know about it, but if you don't even you know, know about the fishery, there's what we call a Kamloops rainbow trout. To the average uh, person, they look identical. It, it's a big rainbow trout and uh, what they were introduced decades ago um, as a way to supplement uh, the fishery because the fishery went catch and release i mean go back into the 80s and the the Kamloops were i think it was like late 70s the Kamloops were introduced and it was a way to supplement the steelhead fishery um, since then that uh, uh Kamloops program actually just um was suspended a couple years ago and that was suspended after a uh, genetic research project that we were actually part of with the dnr that discovered there was um, interbreeding the cam loops were interbreeding with uh, the steelhead um, and they're even though they look the same they have different characteristics um the cam loops don't tend to fight as much they don't have that that fiery instinct that a steelhead does but they're there for people to catch so yeah. i bring that up because how you tell the difference, um, they have a clipped adipose fin. And I can show you, I don't know if I can see it very well. Right here, this little fin here is called an adipose fin. It's about the size of your thumb. Maybe if I that, there, there you go. Can, you can sort of see that. Yep. Um, they can get actually as big as a, you know, a human's thumb, like a man-sized thumb on, on these larger 30-inch fish. But those are clipped, so if you catch a rainbow trout, and that's gone and it's healed over. That's the important thing. It's a whole other thing about some of these aren't healed over and I'm not sure why that's happening, but um, when it's healed over, that, that means that that, that fish had been clipped at stocking and that is a harvestable fish. So that's been suspended. Um, and now we got some anglers saying well what are we going to do you know we don't have any rainbow trout to keep well those scam loops are still in there's still a few years or a couple of, at least a couple of year classes left um, to be caught so people are catching them this year um dnr has since um started stocking steelhead that have a clipped adipose so now the rainbow trout the idea is the rainbow trout will all uh, all the remainder would be this naturalized strain that's what we're trying to get this loop strain out of some of this these steelhead that we're seeing that have some strain in them the loop strain in them so um by introducing a a population of uh, harvestable steelhead with that clipped adipose we're going to hopefully be able to get back to that nice naturalized uh unique steelhead uh, strain that we have
0: yeah yeah no it's it's uh, it's great to hear um so let's let's since we talked a little bit about um, catch and release, let's let's talk about method of of fishing and what Minnesota Steelheader supports and or promotes and or is open to, given that you know uh, catch and release as a as a strategy is obviously very popular with a fly fishing within the fly fishing community. Uh, maybe less so in 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 other methods if you're spin fishing or you're doing other things um but not always the case but yeah so is is your organization a a fly fishing group or or what
1: well we we don't that's a good question actually i think we don't um, we don't uphold a, a style of fishing at the forefront of our organization we're about um informing and educating and inspiring anglers to just really provide them the information to go find their own adventure. How they do that is up to them. We have suggestions and we have methods that us as uh, the directors within Minnesota Steelhead like to use. Um, at our clinics, it's typically a fly and and there's specific reasons that I can go into in just a bit, um, but we don't, we always encourage people, you know, it bring your fly. This is what what we recommend it. We recommend it specifically because um, it can help improve your success rate if, if you learn this new style. And you'll see a lot of different fisheries have that. You know, you, you go to a, a different lake, a different part of the world, or country, whatever. They say this is how we're doing it. You can bring your methods. You might catch fish, but if you if you follow their their uh, advice, you know, their fly or their lure, you might might be more successful. So, um, you know, we use fly rods a lot. But sometimes those fly rods have no fly line on them. Sometimes they're rigged up on the reel, just mono, yeah. just monofilament fishing line. Some have, have fly line. some have different types of fly line, um, spinning. Some of our, our own directors like to use spinning during certain times of the year. So we, we don't care. If, if you come to our clinic with a spin cast rod and rod a, a red and white bobber, I don't care. It, it's, not about, it's not about looks or about, you know, some sort of, you know, elite, elitist attitude. It's about, you know, what, what are you comfortable with? Bring that, and we'll show you how to use that. But then we're also gonna show you another opportunity and show you that, you know, if you change that a little bit, even with what you have, let's modify it, now try this, and it just, it's introducing them to something new and different and potentially maybe something that they might find, hey, I, I see the advantages. And it might, might go into trying a different option, but you know, yeah, we're, we're not, we're, we're not about, we're, we're not these fly fishing snobs that, that a lot of people talk about fly fishing snobs. I actually they don't really even know any, to be honest, <laughs> but there's, there's this like uh, narrative out there that, that, that they yeah. exist somewhere.
0: No, I, I think there is. Um, and I love that, that your organization has that approach and that attitude, um, I'm. I always say I'm a generalist outdoors person in in all aspects, hunting and fishing. Um, I I used to fly fish a lot. I hope to get back to doing more fly fishing here again soon. As as I think I mentioned to you a couple months ago, I <laughs> I just uh, replaced my eight weight, and that I'd I'd love to get out doing and and do some steelhead fishing here soon uh, with a fly. Now that being said, I I like the aspect of just. Being open to whatever method somebody's comfortable with, and especially when it comes to, you know, bobber fishing. Uh, I think for somebody who's brand new, absolutely, uh, try what you're comfortable with. If you want to do some garden hackle, get those uh, those 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 uh, night crawlers out, and, and it'll
1: be good. But just so you know, when you're on the water, you talk to someone who's out fishing. It looks like he knows what he's doing. He'll never use the word bobber. <laughs> it, it's a float or a strike indicator exactly. you know, there is a little bit of snobbery going on there they don't <laughs> want to be I, I always poke fun because i i rarely will use the strike indicator but there's times when when it's it's it makes a huge difference but i so i, I like to to rib my my fishing companions that fish them all the time and, and poke them at with their bobber
0: I was uh I was out um fishing recently and on a stream not too far away here in, in, in this area of the state and um I I hadn't been out in a while and my eyes have just been changing so much over recent years and uh I had to, I had to put a put a pretty good strike indicator on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and, and even tying just, just tying flies and I've got it right in front of me in case I gotta read any notes. This is this is it. I got. I, I need these. I actually, a great option is you can get with your sunglasses. You can go to your eye doc. You can get bifocals put in also, so they're cheaters. It's actually, uh, it, it's affordable and it's a great, it's a great way. So you still got your eye protection from the sun and from stray flies, but you also can see, see what you're tying
0: yeah unfortunately I'm right there, and this is the year of where it's 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 difficult i'm I'm sure. progressively having to to move sure. further out and further out but I haven't gotten into here's the thing is um i always said with fly fishing i i always say i'm not a fly fisherman, but I do use that method quite mm-hmm. quite often and I say that from the standpoint of uh, my brother, as an example, avid fly fisherman, um, ties all of his own flies. You know, when he and I went to Alaska twenty some years ago, he tied every single one of his own flies based on every species of fish we were going after. I bought my flies. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then actually, for the bigger fish, you use spin gear because i I couldn't afford an eight or a ten weight rod at the, at that oh. point. Um, but that being said, do you so again, Method-wise, I love fly fishing. If I'm on the stream, I have I have used spinning gear, but I am going to default to to fly fishing. Are you that way? And then, do you tie your own flies? And let's talk a little bit about what kind of patterns you use then for sure. for steelhead. And and you just showed
1: us that that egg pattern. But what what are you? Uh, what's your approach? Sure. Okay. I get a lot there, but I I can answer that. Um, my <laughs> first my first steelhead. I caught, this is going to date me a little bit. I caught in 1984 and I caught it on spinning gear, big pool and, and, and using spinning equipment. Uh, no, I, it was a, uh, a Vibrix spoon. Okay. Or a, I said a spoon spinner, Vibrix, yeah, yeah. Vibrix, Vibrix spinner with a, with a yellow tail. Uh, it's what I had. And, and, you know, I had experience. um, inland brook trout fishing in, in the arrowhead region, uh, you know, which is basically the whole North shore, uh, of Minnesota, some people call it the arrowhead region. Um, and so it was a big pool and, and the best way to, you know, fish a big pool, it's like a lake was that's, that spinning. And, and I could control it. You know, I had trees behind me. I was, I was, uh, you know, I can go senior in high school. I'm really dating myself now. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, that's, that's what I had. I, I had a rod. I just, you know, that, that to me was the best way to do it. Um, now I, I will be using a fly rod, the the rod all the time. And, And I will be using a fly reel most of the time. Some guys will use a fly rod with a spinning reel. What makes a fly rod so wonderful is its length. Sometimes it's hard to get the right action rod that is nine plus feet long. Um, in, in spinning gear, sometimes it's really soft and there's not a lot of backbone in, in, in some of that. And in these rivers, it's nice to have a little backbone. You get that current as well as a potential large fish and you need to have that backbone to be able to control that fish. Otherwise they can take you all the way to the lake and and you lose the fish. So I typically use a, a nine foot, um, nine to nine and a half foot eight weight fly rod. Um, and I have a, several different types of setups that I use on my reel. And most people, I'm I'm guessing what are they? Most people watching probably know a little bit about fly fishing, but this is, this is one of my first reels. This is a- It's like a medalist. It is. It's a Fluger, And and I had a a Martin multiplier, which I I couldn't (laughs) find. I don't know what happened. But, you know, I probably paid like 25 bucks for this. Right. Now, So you you can get by with this. This actually has fly on it. Or, you know, nowadays everyone gets the fancy ones and they got to spend a hundred or 200 bucks. I got a rod here. You can kind of see these larger arbors, you know, and it gets faster retrieve and all this fanciness. Um, but it's it's not, <clears throat> to me, I'm not hung up on these fancy reels. As long as I got an okay drag, I'm fine with it. It's holding my line, you know, and I've, you get enough experience that a lot of the fighting is, is really in that rod and how you hold that fish. Um, reeling it in is, you can, Hand line, them or reel, them whatever. Going back to how I set those up, sometimes it's it's fly line, uh, a weight forward fly line with a a leader and a tippet, and a fly, and and that's real common. The problem on on a North Shore rivers in the spring is they have where the steelhead are it, either in in uh, you know shallow riffly water that could be you know anywhere from one to three feet and uh, variable currents, so. You know, depending on how far out you're fishing, I mentioned you know the average uh, river is about the width of a of a street, a rural street. So in that um, length, from closest to to far away, there's varying uh, current speeds, and so throwing out a floating weight forward fly line like like you would on maybe a, a southern Minnesota trout stream or something maybe out west, a nice nice gradual or a, a slower moving uh, stream. Um, that fly line goes all over the place and that fly sometimes has a really hard time getting down to the water that you think those fish are in that's in front of you. And that might be the size of a bathtub. You know, it might be the size of a car. It might be 18 feet long, 16 feet long, uh, 12 feet, eight, whatever. And a lot of times uh, they could be deeper troughs. And getting that fly down to them, uh, because these fish will primarily be closer to the bottom than at the surface, they're not feeding up on dry flies. They're going to stay down there. If your fly is over their head, you're just going to miss them. So you got to get your fly to them. The way to get the fly to them is weight. You either weight the fly or you weight the line, and I do both. And most most successful anglers that are experienced do do both. Um, um, so with adding adding the uh, the weight to the line, there's a couple of different methods that you can do. Some people just um, put split shot right on their their leader or on, on their tippet, uh, some, sometimes with a, a three-way swivel um, or dropper liner, they just pinch it right on there. So there's many methods that you can do there with that. Um, or what, what I first started off doing, I just followed uh, the guys in my college fishing club and some of these old timers, and they would take these, these fly reels and they would just get eight pound test Maxima fishing line, and Maxima fishing line um, for most people that I fish with, that's the go-to line. It's just the Maxima Ultra Green. There's a plug for Maxima. Um, <laughs> and you just spool it up, and that's it. No fly line. You spool it up, and you use a fly rod, and you just run line. And people think, well, that's kind of crazy. You're not really fly fishing. It's like, no, you're not. But you're utilizing the fly rod and the fly reel in combination because it's it's a good way to deliver what you're going to set up um so my the first way that i did it is uh just like that you got the line you're running it through you go on and you tie on a fly and then 18 inches up pinch a split shot pinch another one if you need it to get it down and you're basically taking that line you're throwing it out upstream quartering upstream generally and you're going to let that bounce you want it just to tick 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 on the bottom tick 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 so if you have spinning gear and you do that and it's fast water, it's literally it hits the water and reel it in. And reel it in. It's there's a lot of there's a lot going on here with spinning stuff. With a fly rod, you can lob it out there. Again, I can have the line in my hand, and I can be pulling it as the line comes closer to make can pull it like this. And it gets to the end, pull it back to bring the line up and lob it. It's called chuck and duck. And so fly rod, it's this. I mean it's this there's a rhythm that you can get and so you don't really need the fly line f- for those applications and that's how I learned on that fish that's you go off the shore and a lot of the old timers still that's all it is is monofilament mm. all it is is monofilament so you don't really
0: mm.
1: and there's times in the spring when it's fast like this it might look like I am a fly line because I have a little different setup with with some running line that is would be the equivalent of like 18 pound tests high vis. Um, but it serves, it, it serves the same purpose. It's a monofilament and it allows me to be able to get my, my line out there. It's not the big diameter that fly line has that can get pulled in various currents. Um, so there, there's a lot of different methods. You mentioned uh, flies. Uh, I do tie my flies. I, I tie out of necessity. I'm not, I don't have the patience to just sit and tie flies like, like some of my friends do. Uh, so I'll tie out of necessity, but a lot of what I use, Mark, are yarn flies. Mm. And and yarn flies, um, typically it's something that you'd tie on and it's used to uh, simulate like an egg pattern. Uh, Like a, when I say egg pattern, it'd be like a salmon egg pattern or steelhead egg
0: pattern. Yeah. Are you,
1: uh, on that faster,
0: faster water, you're using a high vis mono or, or a fly line, or Are you using, how often are you using the strike indicator?
1: You know, I'll, in fast water, I, I never use strike indicators. And part of it is because that's how I learned. I learned to feel. And so, mm-hmm. guys, I just learned to feel. I, I don't want to be watching something to see if I got something. I want to feel it. Yeah. I, I keep a tight line. And I miss them. There are a lot of times you're missing fish that they, they sucked it and spit it out just like that. And so, you're constantly setting setting the hook or tightening the line a little more just to see. Um, but I'll, I will use a strike indicator. There's times, um, depending it, on the flow. Well, it's all been on the flow, but it's usually later in the season. So this is in the May. Water's level's usually down, it's slow. I need to get my fly down. I happen to grab my rod that just has mono, so I don't have the fly line to float and help me go across that slow water. So now I'm stuck with my mono setup, and I gotta put weight on there to get to get the fly out there, but then it just goes and sits on the bottom. So a float helps with that. You can get a float, put it up to 36 inches, or however deep it is, and throw it in that slow water against that rock cliff bank and then just let it drift. So there's times when a float, it's deadly, uh, yeah. but, or in pools there there's times that I've, I've, and I have friends that that will use night crawlers, they'll use night crawlers um, or other plastics or things like that. They'll float in these pools where they have eddies and the water just sits in, in spins and they'll throw their float on out there and just let it sit and spin and then just moving by itself, let it work it. And, and, they catch fish that way. So. And it, how many,
0: uh, how often do you see people with
1: two handed spade? You know, it, it's, there's two rivers and, and I'm, I, I don't mind saying that the Brule, uh, Minnesota Brule and the baptism river are, are two largest rivers. So they have large enough water where they have these stretches where you have that, the water that is conducive to that style. Um, other than those rivers, and even on much of those rivers, it's flashy, uh, meaning you have these areas where you have these short pocket water, and It and the, uh, the water, the river drops pretty fast. Um, and that, that spade, that two-handed, you need pretty consistent um, flow with, with that, not all this rocks and boulders and, you know, little falls and things like that. So you, you see it, uh, but not very often.
0: So, yarn flies, uh, mono, on a, on a fly rod, some of the things you do, mm-hmm. uh, springtime fishing. Um, these are some of the aspects of it. So, if if people want to, um, I guess maybe let me ask you about this. So, it's catch and release. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you recommend? We obviously want to be very careful with these fish. So, if somebody is, somebody is going to get started in in steelhead fishing in Minnesota as an example or, or anywhere I guess
1: you know um what would you re- what do you recommend for getting started great question um you can spend as much as you want um or get into the bare bones um with just a, a simple fly rod and fly line and that's what I would recommend to get started um, it really doesn't take much, you know. Flies can be overwhelming. The whole the whole fly fishing can be overwhelming. The fishery is overwhelming because of 150 miles of rivers, and I don't know where to go. And where's my access points? And you know, I've never done it before. I'm a little apprehensive. All these guys out there. I don't want to look like I'm doing the wrong thing. It's it, it's pretty easy. I, I encourage people to to check out our our website, and I and I say that because. Um, you know, everything that we're offering, it's free. You know, we're, we're a, a, non, a Minnesota nonprofit. Uh, our clinics are free. There's Streamside clinics where we, we require a registration. It's limited because we're gonna get on the water and we limit about 12 people and we get you on the water and we show you how to use these techniques. Well, first we're off the water and we do a little educational thing about Steelhead, about equipment, why we use what we use, and then we get on the water. So there's some tools at our website that you, you can find some of this. Um, getting into steelheading, I know I, I've had the question a lot, uh, and and people seem to be just a little, you know, um, I don't know what the word is. It's, it's, it's difficult, and so they just don't know where to go because there's so many things. You go on YouTube, and it's, you know, you get a lot of people that are telling you to use. Got to use an eight weight. Got to use this and that. And people are going, I don't even know what an what, what is an eight weight. I don't know what the heck that is. I'm new to this. I don't know. I'm I'm a bass fisherman, but I want to give it a go. Um, one, you can send us an email with a specific question. We, you know, you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram or through our website. You can. We're happy to answer the questions if you have anything specific. Um, but generally speaking, with the time frame we have here, a nine foot fly rod um with with a with a fast tip on it. So it's it got a little bit of a backbone um, eight weight it, it goes down to one weight and goes up to probably 14 weight or maybe even more really what that means to the average angler it, it if they put that into conventional fishing ultralight and heavy duty like musky rods and fly rods smaller the number smaller,
0: yeah, the rod. smaller
1: smaller the number the lighter the action the rods can all be nine feet long but it, it can be considered an ultralight and it can be considered like a musky rod. The eight weight is getting up into that stiff, like a northern rod or whatnot. Most of them will have, I showed you my rod earlier. They'll have this this little, too much in my office here, they'll have this little butt section. Some are longer, some are shorter. A lot of the guys will have custom rods, and they'll be a little longer. And that's just for your forward, and that's to help just give a little, these fish can get pretty pretty big and heavy against in that current, and that gives you that, that little extra, um, support and fighting because makes a big difference your average fly rod um average you your, your uh, you know one to six weight won't even have this on it'll just it'll cut off right about here um so having something with this is nice and that's seven eight nine weight those those three are things to look at i like an eight weight and so, just same, yeah go ahead
0: so you know we're not necessarily wanting to to push anybody into a specific brand or not but uh, I think for most people um getting into in into fly fishing for the very first time, they're gonna run into into combo kits you know you can be mm-hmm. your your scientific anglers or your shakespeare your et cetera maybe even diawa or somebody those are generally like those combo kits are generally i've found like a four four to five six weight something like that right so is that is that big enough to go, go chase steelhead or would you recommend getting into it in an eight weight size?
1: I, I would, I would say, you know, if, if you're looking for something that you can, you just want to get one fly rod, you may want to give it a go at your local lake or maybe you want to do some summer smallmouth fishing somewhere or maybe take it out west. I would say a seven weight. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough because you, you start getting into the, the six weight and lower if you're a skilled angler, I, I, know, I know guys that fish a 6 weight. I know guys that, that'll fish that. It's it's lighter action. It doesn't have quite the backbone. So in really fast water, it's hard to hard to put what I call put the brakes to the fish. Tighten that line up and really, really put the brakes to that fish. So it just makes it harder. And imagine fishing with an ultralight and you've got a 28-inch walleye. You can do it. It's hard. Throw current in there and now it's even harder. So, part of it is, especially with the catch and release fishery, I, I encourage people that you know fight the fish, but don't fight it longer than you have to, because that's yeah. that's wearing that that's that's really putting some stress on on the fish if you go longer than you have to. So, I I think I'm really happy with with an eight weight. Um, I, I do use a seven weight um, later in the year, um, usually May, maybe even into June when the water is. Uh, not quite as high, and it's slower, and, and it's it's more fun to fish that way. Um, yeah. So so that's the route that then that's with steelhead with with you know some of the the other uh, species that you have in these rivers in the fall. Um, I go down with four weight, and that's just depending on on what I'm targeting. Yeah. So, so great transition f- from
0: from equipment to um, responsible catch and release, mm-hmm. as you described. I think if if you've got too light of a tackle it can be fun but you also don't want to play the fish out too long because that's going to increase the mortality rate of, of that fish once you release it mm-hmm. so in your clinics and and when you talk about catch and release what do you what do you tell people what guidance do you give to 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 really handling the fish and making sure they're they're responsibly getting that fish back in the water and keeping that that fishery healthy
1: one, one great thing that we'll, we'll, we'll tell people is when we take this fish out of the water, um, just so you realize how much we don't want to keep it out of the water for us, hold your breath during that time. And when you're ready to exhale, that fish is ready to go back into the water. And that's, that's a good rule of thumb. I, I Personally, I don't know how long these fish can be out of the water before it really puts stress on them. But I figure, you know, and what we try to preach is, you know, if you're holding your breath that whole time, um, great, then you keep the fish out. Um, quite often on TV shows, you see these guys holding bass or whatnot, and they're talking and they're going on for a couple minutes and it just drives me nuts. And I'm not too sure if, if that uh, harms the fish, but for us, what we'd say is keep the fish in the water as long as possible. Bring a net. We're big advocates of nets. There's arguments on what kind of net to use. You can figure that out. I, you know, the, the rubber nets or, or the, the, the nylon nets, all these different things. The key is just to keep the fish in the net. So you got them in the water, in the net. Um, get your camera ready. Get your phone. Most people are, are using this autofocus, auto everything. You know, while you're you're fishing, you know, set your phone to to the camera mode, then tuck it away so that it's ready to go, or get it all ready before you take the fish out. Um, there's been arguments of do you use a fish glove? Uh, using a fish glove helps to grip the fish better um these fish have a have a natural coat on them that it makes them really hard to hang on to they have scales but they're so small that it almost feels like skin and so very aggressive and active fish it can be hard to hang on to them um don't hang on to them over stand up over rocks and gravel because if if you drop them you're going to drop them into that gravel and you can get their gill plates and all that stuff stress the fish so we recommend you know uh, if you're fishing alone, get your camera set up, get it on the, get the timer going and, you know, grab your fish, take your picture, and then let the fish go again. Same if, if you have a, a friend there, have them get the camera ready and then reach in and grab the fish. And what we do is you grab it by the tail. Um, I'm going to use my big one here and I'll show you. So a great way to do it is, you know, on a bigger fish, it's a lot easier on a little fish tail's a lot smaller but it's easy you know to grab that fish I grab it like this and, and you can lock your fingers on the back and just lock them in there and then cradle it you don't I can't squeeze this one because it's so big but some people sit and they'll squeeze these things and don't what you want it this is this is why you're hanging on to them it's right here this is supporting you you can go take that picture maybe take your hand away like this you know You can do all these kind of fun things that you want to do with that. But the key is you asked about the catch and release. The key is keep them in the water as long as you can. Pull them out It's seconds. Take the picture, admire the fish, put it back in the water. You can look at it in the water and let the fish go. If you have a fish that is stressed at all, um, you dropped it, you know, things happen. It happens to all of us Um, when you're releasing that fish. Just hang on to them. Don't just throw them in the water. You know, like people, sunfish, fish, and they, just catch them, they throw them off in the water. Hang on to them. Point them upstream. Let that water get through their mouth and pass their gills. You can just hold them there for a little bit. Let them swim out of your hands. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you when it's time, time to go. But by holding them there and allowing that uh, current to pass through their gills is getting them oxygen. So we always kind of steer them upstream. Hopefully that, that answers those questions. We do have some information on our website too on some you know just proper catch and release perfect transition so
0: what is uh, what is your website again Oh good one minnesotasteelheader.com. minnesotasteelheader.com. Minnesota you you're okay. the founder and the and the uh, executive director of it
1: mm-hmm. yes and we are on Facebook the most relevant information that not relevant the most up-to-date information that you'll find is probably on our Facebook. Uh, yeah. We we do post images on Instagram, but if that's more imagery, Facebook will, will post. I think today someone posted uh, they caught it. A, a couple of our directors live on the North Shore, and he posted a image of a you know or a video of a steelhead swimming away um, after he caught it. Uh, but you'll you'll see a lot of relevant information um, that is current to what's going on today. Our website is. Um, we do have links to, to some of this more current information. Website, you're going to find a lot more of the maps, um, how to engage in, in our clinics, uh, how to find information on the various genetic studies that we're a part of, um, information. Uh, we, we adopted the Sucker River several so years ago, so you'll find information on our cleanup efforts. And you'll find a lot, little bit more of that static stuff, information on you know, what's a steelhead, what's a cam loop, uh, some of the techniques, and some of the management stuff. So you can, we have a little bit all over the place. It's great to, great here. hear. Well,
0: and obviously, you know, right now we're in the middle of this, um, you know, these stay at home orders. So make sure you follow, uh, follow whatever your local guidelines are for, um, getting outside, but not, uh, not, you know, making sure you're responsible, responsible about any of your outdoor activities, uh, during this time. And, um, Davin, this this was a lot of fun talking steelhead yeah, is, with you. This, this always is, fun talking steelhead. Yeah, absolutely. This endless sea. We'll have to, we'll have to uh, get out fishing when the time is right, and uh, and have you on again and, and talk more about it. So
1: great. I'd love to be on again, Mark.
0: Thanks so much uh, for your time today, and uh, stay safe out there. Right on. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye bye. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Davin Brandt from Minnesota Steelheader. You can go to minnesotasteelheader.com. And also, don't forget, it's also turkey hunting season right now. And at huntingcamp.live, we are offering free turkey clinics. So you can go out and get all of the turkey hunting curriculum for free this spring since we're all cooped up in our homes. And you can learn a new skill if you haven't been out turkey hunting yet and I myself will be going out for the first time this year and that's something we always want to reinforce no matter how long you've been hunting you can try something new so go to huntingcamp.live check that out and we'll see you on the next podcast thanks for listening to the modern carnivore podcast you can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com